Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled episode of that 4K podcast. This week's topic, we're going to talk about plan sponsors and how they could re- reboot their 4K plan. And uh, they'll talk, uh, you know, we'll talk about entertainment and some of my favorite and least favorite reboots. Um, and of course, go to that 4K site.com for further information on all our live events. Obviously, now this episode drops on Friday. That would be the second day of the virtual conference. And of course, we have live events on the ticker. Uh, May the 3rd in Arlington, Texas, June the 7th in Yankee Stadium. Uh, really happy with the turnout so far, as well as the support from a lot of the plan pro- provider sponsors. Go to that 4K site.com to sign up for all the events. For Arlington, um, the game, if we're going to do it, is going to be on May 2nd, but it's going to be a 1.30 game, so I don't think a lot of the attendees would be interested in it. But uh, for Yankee Stadium, it is a Dodger game that night, so uh, probably for attendees, we're going to ask for a, some sort of charge. Of course, anybody sponsoring the event will go to the game. Uh, of course, go to that 4 for further information. Just 100 bucks to attend. Had lunch with Larry uh, this, uh, today, so we had discussions about who the guests might be. Yankee Stadium, we're certainly going to get a World Series legend. Uh, that's kind of easy when you've won like 27 championships. Uh, uh, Rangers will be a little bit more difficult. They've only won one World Series. And I believe Friday, May 3rd will be a uh, travel day where they actually probably have left on Thursday if it's an afternoon game. I forget where they go on Friday, but Friday, May 3rd, Friday, June 7th. Go to that 4 for further information. And like I said, going forward, we're probably going to run two to three events a year. Um... And, uh, you know, obviously pick places where people want to go. Um, that's what I've learned from 2022. Nobody wants to go to Oakland. And apparently In-N-Out announced that they're going to close their only In-N-Out restaurant in Oakland. I just read that this week. So anyway, in movies and television, reboot is a mechanism to discard all previous continuity in a series and start with fresh ideas. So it's interesting because I remember when they announced uh, Tim Burton was going to do Batman, and my mind is, how could anybody play Batman but, you know, Adam West? And, of course, there's always new continuity, new changes. Um, You know, obviously with James Bond as an example, um, if you look at the history of James Bond, Roger Moore pays tribute to Tracy Bond, uh, in uh, For Your Eyes Only, at the beginning of it, and that was his wife in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. So, you know, the Daniel Craig Bond movies show that, you know, in my mind, they're not the same character. They're not the same person. It'd be interesting if everybody was named James Bond, but they were all different people. And obviously, if you've seen No Time to Die, you know what happens to Daniel Craig's Bond, and if the next movie happens, obviously it's a different continuity. Maybe a different universe, as we saw in the last Spider-Man movie, where you know they brought back Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, um, and we saw um, you know those different universes. But in my mind, when it comes to reboots, there will only be one Steve McGarrett, and that will only be played by Jack Lord. I mean, I understand Alex Laughlin or whatever did a pretty credible job. She'll last it for about 10 years, the second iteration of uh, Y50. But, you know, in my mind, that's, you know, the Steve McGarrett, Jack Lord uh, version is the one I prefer. 
But if you've ever seen Ocean's Eleven, uh, you know the George Clooney version was a lot better than the Frank Sinatra version. But, you know, there are a lot of ways for retirement plans can certainly revamp themselves or rebooting it by new options that can really improve the plan. And there are certain different ways, adding plan provisions or just doing certain deeds that could obviously reboot the plan. And obviously, reviewing plan providers goes a long way. Uh, obviously, yeah, you look at the financial advisor, the TPA, the ERISA attorney, you find out where the problem lies and, you know, uh, what you can do as a plan sponsor. Uh, you know, reviewing the plan goes a long way to rebooting the plan. Sometimes what really needs to be done is replacing the CPA or replacing the financial advisor. I've seen it happen, uh, obviously, up close and personal. I always talk about that uh, medical practice, paying 60 bips to a broker who did absolutely nothing to the plan. They hired uh, 338, paid 25 bips, and really improved uh, the plan. Obviously, uh, adding automatic enrollment can do that. We all know that new plans today have to add, pretty much have to add, add automatic enrollment. But for existing plans, you know, it's an interesting concept to add. Obviously, plans that have high participation rates, it, there's really no need for it. Uh, to me, automatic enrollment really is for the employers that, you know, have poor participation, namely because of the industry they're in. Uh, like I always say, restaurants going to defer a lot less than law firms. So if a plan, you know, has issues with participation, if it has issues with discrimination testing, uh, you can certainly reboot the plan by adding an automatic enrollment uh, feature. And, uh, you know, it's a funny thing. I first heard of automatic enrollment in about 1999 when it was known as negative election. A negative election was recognized by the IRS through a revenue ruling, where I believe it was a restaurant decided to have, you know, a automatic contribution arrangement where they would put in all the money in a stable value fund and a money market fund. The reason was because there was no fiduciary relief under ERISA 404C. If participants can't direct their own investments, then they couldn't you know, seek um, the help um, of offering, uh, you know, they can't seek the liability limitations on ERISA 404C. Uh, I didn't like it. I didn't like it when it was called negative election. I thought it was just a gimmick to help plan sponsors kind of force participants in. I mean, I understand the opt-out feature, but what really got to me was the fact that there was no fiduciary relief for plan sponsors, so the money got parked in a stable value of money market account. Uh, some years with the market, that might have been the best investment. But I didn't like it until uh, they changed the law. Uh, the Secure Act, oh, I'm sorry, the Secure Act, the PPA uh, changed the law um, and allowed automatic enrollment, gave fiduciary uh, and plan sponsors relief through um, the QDIA. Um, so my opposition to it changed. And I just had a discussion uh, this week with a TPA based in California. And uh, I said, you know, listen, uh, read a lot of articles, um, 
Paychecks and ADP don't really like my opinions, uh, but I don't really think that they've changed and improved how they've administered plans. I said, listen, this day and age, I used to write a lot of articles against producing TPAs, but obviously with fee disclosure, that changed uh, the game. And so the idea that plan sponsors have this QDIA uh, availability with automatic enrollment, my opposition to automatic enrollment uh, obviously dissipated. Um, automatic enrollment, of course, to me, sounds a lot more attractive than negative election. It sounds like a positive, which always reminds me of George Carlin and his little stand-up on euphemisms. And uh, I like automatic enrollment because, again, the QDI function Plus, I think that if you have a good advisor who can gauge plan participants, you may be able to convert um, those automatically enrolled to those who want to enroll and, and participate in plan on their own. That's the hope. Next is add a Roth 401k feature. Obviously, we're kind of in a um, no man's land because according to the SECURE Act, this was a year where participants who were highly compensated could only use catch-up on a Roth basis. We all know that that uh, uh, requirement for 2024 got pushed off. But there are still plan sponsors that don't have a Roth feature. Uh, I like it because I like to give opportunity and chances. Participants want to uh, direct um, their contributions on an after-tax basis and subject to taxes with the hopes that it will be tax-free in retirement. That's a great gambling. Uh, better odds than uh, you know picking the Mets to win the World Series uh, at any local sports book. Uh, I just you know for for me, I never understood why plan sponsors didn't want to offer it, but there are still plan sponsors who don't want to offer it. Actually, I, uh, I am the plan administrator for a school uh, that still doesn't offer it. Uh, I'm still in favor of it because I like giving choices. And if people want to uh, defer on an after-tax basis and get all that tax-free growth because you know they can afford to do it and they're going to retire in a long period of time, why not do that? Um, and again, you know, for discrimination testing purposes, uh, makes no difference who you are or how you defer. Uh, obviously, it's an issue for payroll, but since 2006, when this was uh, um, allowed, um, it's really not been an issue with uh, many of the payroll providers, who, of course, all of a sudden had opposition for the after-tax catch-up. But that's a whole lot, another thing, and uh, it is what it is. And it's a, it's a great opportunity. Next, of course, I still believe that if you eliminate eligibility requirements for solid deferrals, uh, I like that. Uh, obviously, we know the change with, um, you know, the long-term part-time employees. Um, I like limited, I like no eligibility for deferrals because I was an employee once too. It was a knock in my mind against any employer that required me to serve another year of service in order to defer, since the plan could test under 21-1 anyway. And so I never understood it. 
<laughs> and of course, the argument I always heard is, oh, well, you know, you're going to deal with a lot of small account balances. If you're dealing with small account balances, that means you have turnover. And if you have high turnover, the problem isn't the 4K plan. The problem is with you because you have high turnover. Just had lunch at the local pizzeria where my daughter worked. And since my daughter quit, three or four other people quit. I love that place. My son loves to go there for pizza. So I'm there at least once, you know, once a week. Um, if there's high turnover, it's themselves. Though They are the issues. They probably don't see it, but that's a fact. Happy employees don't leave. I know that once because I was never a happy employee. But, you know, as, you know, David Geffen would say about um, Don Henley, you know, he's a malcontent. He's always going to be malcontent. And, you know, that maybe that's me. But to me, it makes absolutely no sense to require service for people to defer. Profit sharing match, I get it. But since the plan allows you to, since the testing rules allow you to test on the 21 and 1, just, just do it. Uh, and especially with that long term part time employee uh, change, you might as well offer it anyway. Uh, the IPS, reviewing it, yeah, you know. Uh, Reviewing the investment selection process. Uh, obviously, if you haven't reviewed the plan in quite some time, shame on you. Bigger shame on you if you haven't reviewed the plan for a long time and you're actually playing a, paying a financial advisor to manage your plan because you're paying someone for doing absolutely nothing. Um, obviously, I always talk about the old law firm that I used to work at, which is about 40% the size when I left in 2010. i got to point that out all the time. Um, you know, they didn't change investments for 10 years. They didn't have a financial advisor. Uh, that puts a plan sponsor at risk. Don't be them. So obviously, you can certainly reboot the plan by having a process in place to improving the investments in the plan by, you know, replacing, selecting investments based on criteria. Obviously, if you're using index funds, uh, that's, it's a little bit different than when actively managed funds because at the end of the day, the Vanguard S&P 500 index is going to try to match the index with as little cost as possible. But obviously, there are you know, advisors out there. There are advisors out there that uh, don't um, that, that don't uh, do that. Um, so, Next things next, and of course that was the IRS trying to interfere. I, you know, this is the third time the IRS agent is called uh, during this podcast, uh, but uh, it is what it is. Next, um, one way to reboot the four hundred one k plan is to prune an excessive fund lineup. Um, you know, people think more is more. That's always the argument that I have with people. Less is more. Um, if you have more than 18 funds in a plan, you're doing something wrong. I mean, I've seen plans with 68, 80 investment options. Studies have shown that the more investment options that you have, it actually decreases participation because it's information overload. In my mind, there should only be one large cap growth fund. You don't need four or five. If you want to have a large cap growth, large cap value, or a blend, I get it. But three or four large cap growth funds does nothing 
but overwhelmed participants to the point that they no longer want to participate in the plan. It's information overload. And again, 18 funds will do it. I think 12 funds will do it. And when I use 18, I say, you know, I'm going to use six funds or whatever for target date. But there's absolutely no reason why you have 50 to 70 funds. Uh, even in my private money, uh, what I do on my own, I try to make sure that I don't have 50 stocks. I try to make sure that I only have five or six uh, index funds. You know, small cap, large cap, mid cap, international developed, international emerging, and because I'm political, uh, an Israeli exposure stock uh, ETF. That's it. And, you know, some stocks I like. Um, and I try to make sure I don't like the entire market. I like, you know, certain stocks that, uh, you know, tried and true companies and uh, I love dividends and all that kind of stuff. But there's no reason why a 401k plan in this day and age should have 50 to 75 funds. Just, just idiotic. Next way to reboot a plan, obviously, add a safe harbor plan design. Plan is failing testing. Well, maybe you should have a safe harbor plan design. And I worked in this business before safe harbor plans. And you failed, you failed. And if you failed, you had a refund or make a QNAC. Safe harbor plan is great for those plans that were going to fail no matter what. You give a fully vested contribution, great. Uh, you're cheap and you want people to defer. You do a quacka uh, where you have a two-year you know, two vesting schedule. Either way, it's just great. Uh, Extra changed the game when they also said the safe harbor satisfies top heavy. We love that. And, uh, you know, I love the new comparability where you can use the 3% safe harbor non-elective to use that as a minimum gateway. So if you give every the NHC's 3%, you can give the Hylies 9%. So I really, really like that. Last but not least, uh, complete an annual review of the plan. Uh, too many plan sponsors, all their plan documents they put in the back of the drawer. They don't bother to review their plan and whatnot. Uh, a 401k plan should be reviewed annually. See what's working, see what's not. Uh, the HR director of my old law firm is still there. She was incompetent then. I'm sure she's incompetent now. Um, you know, only associate attorneys get the hammer. Uh, ineffective employees at a law firm do not. Um, and, you know, uh, I, she's probably mismanaging the plan like she did when I was there 13 years ago. Or actually when I talked to her 15 years ago, um, one of my favorite stories was I got a call from a rep. I want to say it was DCIO or it was... Uh, local platform rep or whatever it was. And can I look at the plan? They have a safe harbor plan design and they have some issues. And of course it was my old law firm. Uh, one of the trustees of the plan didn't remember who I was and wanted me to come in. And the HR director was the other trustee and remembered who I was and remembers that I write nasty articles about her. Uh, so the, uh, the meeting was canceled. She was very busy or whatever the excuse was. And seven, eight years later, I, I haven't been back or contact from them, but it is what it is. And so in terms of reviews, I do this annual $750 retirement plan tune-up and nothing, uh, you know, I could count on two hands, um, 
and uh, that's that's that. And uh, you know, I could count with two hands again. Seven hundred dollars to review the plan, and nobody's interested, and that's that. And uh, that's that for this episode of that 4K podcast. Uh, tune in next week for another fun-filled episode of the 4K podcast. For that one person who always listens, I have to put that out there. Uh, there is one. There is more than one person who, who does listen. But anyway, go to that 4 site.com. It's going to be a lot of fun in Arlington, Texas. Uh, Texas is great. I discovered Bucky's, and I understand Bucky's is the home of uh, Texas is the home of Bucky's, so we're looking forward to being there in May. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of great presentations. And, of course, go to that 4 kcitecom for further information on all our live events. Next year, 2025, probably going to try to get back to Anaheim. Probably going to have an event in Washington, D.C. Uh, but like I said, uh, we only do these events because people want it. Uh, we didn't do Oakland last year like we promised because nobody wanted to go Oakland. And having been there at a game last year, uh, I understand why. So go to that 4 for further information on all events. And again, tune in next week for another fun-filled episode of that 4 k podcast.